And uh, this guy said, nope, we just pack our stuff up once or twice a week just to see how many boxes it takes. And uh, here's your sign, by the way. Uh, he goes on the right. He went fishing with a friend of his, and they pulled into the dock, and they had a big stringer of bass. And this guy on the dock asks, hey, you catch all them fish? Nope, we just talked them into giving up. Here's your sign. You know, a, a, a gift of the obvious, I guess, is what we would call it. Uh, the one I like, though, is if you watch some of those nature shows and science shows on television, inevitably there's somebody who's developing a suit you can wear when you go into the ocean where there's sharks, you know, an anti-shark bite suit. As so they develop it, of course, you have to have somebody test it. You have to have somebody get in the suit and get in a pool of sharks to see. And so they give it, okay, okay, here, Jimmy, put on this suit. It looks pretty good. Jump into this pool of sharks and tell us if it hurts when they bite you. Well, okay, but you've got to hold my sign for me, okay? Uh, and then another one is uh, driving into a gas station with a flat tire or into a tire shop with a flat tire, and uh, the attendant walks out and says, uh, looks to me like your tire's gone flat. And you say, nope, the other three just swelled up. You know, here's your sign. And, uh, you know, the one I like, though, is every time I go to a Mexican restaurant, they're very good at keeping the plates very hot, aren't they? And they'll go hot plate when they set your order down in front of you. What do I do? I touch it to see how hot it is. Ow, that's hot. Okay, give me the sign. I'll wear the sign. And uh, so, but none of us want to have a lifestyle of stupidity, do we, or foolishness. In fact, God's word has a lot to say about fools versus the wise. In fact, if we were to go to the book of Proverbs, the theme of the book of Proverbs is driving the foolishness out of young men and women, and uh, that we should not live foolish, uh, foolishly, but have wisdom as we go about life. As uh, Dave said, we come to this passage in Scripture in these last three chapters of this letter to the church at Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul is applying, he's making application of the first three chapters that he's written about the Christian's position in Christ. He has laid out very strongly the wealth we have in the Lord Jesus Christ as we live life. And uh, so that informs how we are to live out our lives then. And so that's what he's in the process of doing. And he's doing it very strongly, very stridently, if you will. But we want to make a difference in life. We want to live wisely, don't we? We don't want to be known as fools. And uh, so how do we live wisely? And the passage today is what we're going to be looking at. As Dave said, the Apostle Paul uses this walking metaphor. Now, if you use the New International Version or many other versions, the Bible translators have already inserted the word. Instead of using the word walk, they use living or life or lifestyle. Uh, that make it maybe easier, but the, the, the word, the Greek word that's used here, the Apostle Paul, is literally walking, and he uses it a metaphor of how we go through life, that we're living this life, and it's a day-to-day -day process of walking through life together. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, which begins this, this last section in the, uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with which with you have been called. And so he sets up the stage for the chapters 4, 5, and 6, this idea of your life matters. Your life and how you live out your life is a reflection of your beliefs, a reflection of what you know. And so all of us are in that boat together. 
In fact, he talks about living a life of unity, the first part of chapter 4, walking in unity. He's concerned that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be unified because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us unity. The Holy Spirit of God indwells every Christian, every believer, and God cannot be divided. So any disunity within a local church is the result of sin, either on one person's part or both parties' part. And so we need to live in unity. doesn't mean we agree on every little item of our lives, but it does mean that we rally around the fundamentals of the faith about the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we live out our faith. We're going to learn more about that again in a moment. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 17, he says to walk in purity or holiness, this idea that we are called saints, those set apart unto the glory of God, and we are to walk in purity. And chapter 5, verse 2 is to walk in love, that next section to talk, walk in love. Love covers a multitude of sins, how we care for one another. Chapter 5, verse 8, we're to walk as children of light, as Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and he, we are his children. And here we are to walk wisely, to walk wisely beginning in verse 15 of chapter 5. Before we look at this, let me pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you, and we are a needy people. We don't have all understanding, all intellect, all of those things, and sometimes we live foolishly. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know exactly where each person is at in their lives You know exactly each set of circumstances that surround each family, each person, each couple, each individual. And we thank you, Lord, that you care for us and you've cared enough to write us this letter. And as we study this letter, Lord, today, even this short passage that you would give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that you would be honored and glorified. So we ask you to teach us today in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Return to verse 15 here in chapter 5. He says, therefore, and of course it's from the context of walking as children of light, and he told us in the previous verse that we need to awake and arise, basically. Don't be asleep. Don't be complacent in your faith. Your faith, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the most important thing about you. The most important thing is what you think about God uh, when you think of him and uh, your walk as a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, Haddon Robinson, who was a professor of preaching, he was a, a, a quite a preacher. He wrote books on preaching, but he wrote these words. He said, it is more important to get people to think Christianly than to make them act religiously. And I want you to understand that because my task, our task together is to think Christianly. The Apostle Paul refers to the mind many times in his letters, and he talks about the aspect that we need to think about things. You know, I maintain that probably when I do foolish things, I'm not really thinking. I'm just reacting or acting out somehow. And I think all of us would agree with that. So in verse 15, he says, Therefore, in light of what I've just taught you, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So the first thing we see that those who walk wisely are careful about their life, are careful about their life. That is an interesting word. It means exactness. It means living with preciseness and accuracy. Notice I didn't say perfection. There are many of us who struggle with perfectionism, and perfectionism is unattainable. There is only one perfect being in the universe, and that is God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only God-man who lived a perfect life. And what I found with perfectionism is that perfectionists 
recognize the failure in their own lives, and so they extrapolate it out and expect others around them, whether it's family members, co-workers, whatever, to try to live perfectly up to their standards. He didn't, he's not talking about living a perfectionistic lifestyle, but he is talking about living with excellence. There is a difference, and excellence varies between the individual. When I was at Dallas Seminary, when I first went there, I had this attitude that I was going to get perfect grades, and some guys got perfect grades. But then I was taught and understood the difference between perfectionism and excellence. And excellence for me in some courses, because I was working 40 hours a week, I had teenage children, uh, and I was going to classes, and perfectionism, or excellence for me might have been a C in a class rather than an A. And so that helped me understand that when he tells us to walk carefully, it means that we walk with preciseness and accuracy. My father, his father before him, his father before him were all engineers and machinists. And so I grew up with this whole idea of everything has to be done excellently. It has to meet the tolerances that it is designed for. And they would do all these, these designs and mechanical things, and they were very careful that they met the standards of what they were producing. Uh, all of these engineers, they made elevators, they made uh, mining equipment, all sorts of stuff, logging equipment, and it had to have tolerances. In other words, there were standards to meet for that machine to run the way it was supposed to run. And that's the idea of this word, careful here, is that there are standards, and the standards are not set by us. They're set by God himself. And we need this careful application of knowledge. It talks about wisdom here. It says, uh, careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. In other words, not as fools, not doing stupid things every day, but we are to walk wisely. And for the Greek, wisdom was an intellectual exercise. But in Paul's mind, he's using a Hebrew mindset here. It's a principle of life and living, a principle of how we live out life. It's a wisdom that comes from divine nature. It's what God gives us. We pray for wisdom. We hope we are growing in wisdom through life. This week I was reading a biography about Richard Burton, the British actor, a very fine actor, but yet his life was a mess. He died young at age 56. And it was just his life was dissolute. It was just uh, ridiculous what he subjected himself to. That would be foolishness. That is foolishness what he did. And so those who walk wisely are careful about their life, verse 15. Verse 16, those who walk wisely maximize their time. Look at verse 16 again. It says, those who walk wisely make the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, we think of time, especially here in the West, more on the clock. You know, we think of uh, uh, the clock when we think of time, and that comes from the Greek word chronos, and we think of chronometer has to do with time. In fact, I have a good friend, Bertie Masi from Indonesia, and uh, he grew up in Sumatra, and uh, he's a missionary with New Tribes Mission, uh, and uh, he grew up in the West kind of because his father was a diplomat, but he said, you Americans amaze me. He said, you guys only know if you're hungry by looking at your wrists, you know, and, oh, it's noon, I better eat, you know. And, uh, but it's not the kind of time he's talking about here. He's talking about kairos. Kairos is the Greek word, and it means opportunity. It means to buy up or to redeem or to, lit, to deliver someone. That is the idea. And there, there are opportunities in life that come across our paths. 
It's not clock time, but it's opportunity time. And that's why I appreciate, you know, there are agrarian values and urban values. And I've grown up in both areas, and I understand both areas. But in an urban value system, we are concerned with the clock. It's not about the, the task, but it's the clock. Okay, how much can we get done in this amount of time, and then we're done. Whereas agrarian values, it's about the task, about a completing a task. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about Kingdom opportunities, there are openings that come, and oftentimes they're in inconvenient times. Perhaps you have a friend who needs to talk to you, and it kind of invades your day, and you're not sure about that, or a child with a problem, or you need to lend a hand to somebody in need. Those are kingdom opportunities, if you will. The Apostle Paul is encouraging us to keep our lives uncluttered, if you will, so that we can respond when needs arise in each one of our lives. And uh, if your schedule is too tight, you have no, no puff factor is what I call it. In fact, there was a book written a number of years ago called Margins. And the author of the book, his, his illustration was the margins on a page of a book. The narrower the margins, the harder it is to read the page. The wider the margins, that's why I like wide margin Bibles, is because it makes it easier to read. It's easier on the eyes. And he used that as an ish, illustration of life. If your life is packed out to the edges of the page, you have no room, no margins for rest, for service, for ministry, and you need to make those margins get a little larger in your life. So be careful and maximize your time. Understand your days. In verse 16, it tells us the days are evil. We need to understand the days we live in. And I don't think anybody needs to tell you that the days we live in are evil. All you have to do is look at social media, look at the national news, follow any of that stuff, and it seems like we live in evil days. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, to teach, So teach us to number our days that we may present a heart of wisdom. What a great psalm. If we'd memorize that to understand to number our days. It seems like we have unlimited number of days, but we don't. We have a set number according to Psalm 139. 1 Chronicles 12.32, uh, some of my heroes out of the Old Testament are the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar, as they went up to support David in his ascension to the throne. And it tells us there in 1 Chronicles 12, And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, and we need to understand our times, whatever your times are like. Wherever you're at in life, your passage in life, you need to understand where you're at and know what God would have you to do. Careful living, maximizing our time. Careful living is wise living. Those who walk wisely, thirdly, in verse 17, comprehend God's will. Comprehend God's will. By the way, we are going to spend two Sundays in this passage because it is such an important passage in these verses here because it sets up almost all the rest of the book of Ephesians. And you will see that as we go along. But those who walk wisely comprehend the will of God. Look at verse 17 with me. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, again, none of us want to be fools or be called fools, but we need to understand that there are foolish things going on all around us. Sometimes I am staggered as I look at social media and see the foolishness that goes on out there in, under the guise of communication. In fact, I was talking to our youngest daughter, Angela, about Facebook, and, 
And uh, she has signed off of Facebook, and she goes back about once every three weeks, and she says, I have not missed a thing. It's just there's nothing there to look at, really. And I thought about that, and I thought, yes, that's, that's very true. So understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand that there is foolishness out there and that God has a better plan. Now, we don't want to get mystical about this. I think of the farmer, the story about the farmer who desired for years to be a preacher of God's word. And one day he was working out in his field, and as he was taking a break for his lunch, he looked up in the sky, and in the clouds he saw what the clouds formed, P, the letters P, C, P, C. Immediately he hopped up and went out and sold his farm and went to preach Christ because he felt that that's what God's will was. He wanted this uh, answer from God, but he overlooked the fact that what God really wanted him to do was PC, plant corn. And, uh, you know, when we get mystical about God's will, we're going to make mistakes, okay? Uh, So if you want to know very briefly what the will of God is for your life, and especially young people seem to struggle with, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And we expect it to be like a map laid out on the floor in front of us where we just go to point A, B, C. We, we hit the GPS waypoints, GPS waypoints, and we're going to get to our destination. And yet as the older I get, I recognize God's will is like a scroll that's unrolling behind me. And I see God's hand working and guiding and leading me and pointing me to the direction I'm, I'm going. And he is guiding my steps. So it is an act of faith. If my life was all laid out like a map, it wouldn't take much faith to follow the waypoints on the GPS, would it? But the will of God, just take these six things, and that will help you. First of all, the will of God is that you be saved, that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is God's desired will. He does not desire anyone to go to hell. He desires that people know him as their Savior. So the first point of God's will is that you be saved, that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you believe in him for everlasting life. Secondly, that you be spirit-filled. We'll see that in verse 18 in a moment. His will is that we are filled with his Spirit. The Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation, and that's what the Word declares to us. We don't feel any different. Uh, But this Holy Spirit of God, God's power invades our lives, and we are called spirit-filled. The third thing is sanctified. Now, that's a theological term, which means set apart unto a purpose. Uh, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4. So saved, spirit-filled, sanctified. Fourthly, submissive. Now, this word is a hot-button term, and we are going to see it later in the book of Ephesians. But we are to be submissive. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for this is the will of God, 1 Peter three thirteen through 15. And uh, then the fifth one is suffering for his sake. Oh, this is not a popular one. We don't like suffering, do we? No, I just I want to wrap myself in cotton wool and you know just enjoy the beach and not, not have any problems. But... Uh, 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing, suffering for his sake. And sixthly, saying thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The will of God for every human being is to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering for his sake, and saying thanks. This is not difficult stuff but it is 
impossible to live out the Christian life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If you are fulfilling those six principles, you are delighting the Lord. If you are living for the Lord Jesus Christ, he will give you the right desires. Isn't that interesting? He will implant the desires of your life in your life. You will want those things. He will fulfill those desires. St. Augustine, of course, the church monolithic great from centuries ago, he summarized all his theology in this sentence, love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. That is good advice because if you love God, you will be doing what he wants. <laughs> love God and do what you want. Uh, Dr. Bill Bright, uh, you remember him from Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. He told the story about uh, the oil patch down in Texas called the Yates Pool. He writes that during the depression of the 1920s and 30s, uh, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage, and so he was in danger of losing his ranch. With a little money for clothing and food for his family, he had to live on government subsidies during the Depression. Day after day, he grazed his sheep on the rolling West Texas hills and was in no doubt greatly troubled about how he would pay his bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land, and they asked for permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a leased contract. At 1,115 feet below his land, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came, well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were drilled uh, more t than twice as large as the first one. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of those wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels per day. Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights, Bill Bright says. Yet he'd been living on relief this multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know the oil was there and that he had owned it. You know, many believers in the Lord Jesus Christ live in spiritual poverty. They are entitled to all the wealth and the blessings of chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesians, and they have the energizing power living within them, but they're not aware of their birthright, and that's what the Apostle Paul is concerned about here. And there is a complacency. And uh, many Christians go around with glum faces because they don't recognize the promised blessings that they own and that they are going to receive when they return to heaven. In fact, uh, Spurgeon, Haddon Spurgeon said that uh, when you preach, about, he was telling his preacher boy class, he said, when you preach about heaven, make sure your face is really bright and smile and joyful. Uh, when you preach about hell, your normal face will do. And <laughs> so... I always remember that when I mention either one of those. So, yeah. So we are called to wise living by being careful, maximizing our time, comprehending God's will. And then fourthly, those who walk wisely choose a spirit-filled lifestyle. And this is a matter of choice, by the way. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with with the Spirit. He's doing a contrast here. He's using a negative statement and a positive statement to make sure that we understand the difference here. Now, this is uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the four 
commands, imperatives in the New Testament relating the believer to the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. This one here, be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, which we looked at before, grieve not the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God because he is the third person of the Trinity. And in our sin, we can grieve him just like we grieve when someone harms or uh, themselves or has a loss. Galatians 5.16 tells us to walk by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is quench not the Holy Spirit. And I believe that has to do with when we deny someone's spiritual gift of being able to use it. We quench the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And so we are supposed to be involved in wise living. Uh, In this passage, Paul explained how wisdom uh, is an intellectual and a spiritual capacity. It works out in one's own conduct. As we said, what we believe eventually bleeds out into how we live our lives. Uh, This negative command is to abstain from getting drunk on wine in that culture, uh, which is uh, incorrigibility, basically. It is translated debauchery or excess or riot or dissipation. These ideas all give us the idea of a licentious lifestyle that is wasteful, it's foolish. And in this verse, uh, the literal sense seems that a drunken man acts abnormally, okay? They don't act normally. Rather than controlling himself, uh, the substance controls the person. And uh, so when it tells us to be filled by the Spirit in contrast, thus a believer, rather than controlling himself, is controlled by the Holy Spirit. It may be more accurate to say that the Holy Spirit is the agent of the filling, and Jesus Christ is the one who fills us. He is the one who fills us up. And he talks about that. And so we are commanded here. This is a command to be filled. We're not to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. It's an issue of influence and power. What is the major influence in your life? And some people are under the grip of alcohol. Uh, I had a good friend at Dallas Seminary. He had quite a testimony. He'd been a businessman in Illinois. And he had come to Dallas Seminary after he became a believer in, the, in his 30s, and he'd been an alcoholic before that. When he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, God took all of that away from him, and uh, he was going to Dallas Seminary to be used by God in that instance. But I also know people who struggle with substance abuse their whole lives, and uh, I don't understand that. Only God understands that. But the idea here is that we choose the positive. We choose the positive that there is the control of the Holy Spirit, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're baptized in the Spirit at the moment of our salvation. What does this look like? Uh, A.J. Gordon was one of the founders of Gordon-Conwell College Divinity School, and he told of, uh, writes a story about uh, walking out and looking across a field near his home And there beside the house across the field would look like a man pumping one of those old hand pumps in a well, and he was going just furiously pumping the well. As Gordon watched, the man continued to pump at tremendous rate of speed. He seemed absolutely tireless, pumping on and on, up and down without ever slowing down or with the slightest hint that he would stop anytime soon. It was a remarkable sight, and uh, Gordon walked across the field, Uh, to see the man and see what he was doing. But when he got closer, he could see that it was not a man at all, but as a wooden figure painted to look like a man, and its arm was hinged, and it was wired to the pump handle, and the pump handle was pouring out uh, the uh, artesian well water 
And so essentially, the pump was moving the man. The water was moving the man. And when you see a man at work for God and producing results, recognize it is the Holy Spirit working within us and not his efforts that give the results. All that we do and all that we have is to keep our hand on the handle. Another example is sailing. I like the idea, the the metaphor of a sailboat. You know, sailboat doesn't move under its own power, but by the wind of God, and you catch the power of the wind with power, and I don't know anything about sailing, but catch it in the sail, and that moves the ship on. And so how do we know, finally, how do we know if we're filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, God doesn't leave us in the dark here. In verses 19 through 21, there are five present participles which tell us how we know that we're in uh, the uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. First of all, in verse 19, notice in verse 19, the first one, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, Those who walk wisely communicate a spirit-filled lifestyle. And so this fellowship is conveying the commonality we have in Christ. So we're encouraging one another. And the, the three words there, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all reflect a certain degree. And we will look at this more the next time we revisit this passage. The second part of verse 19, so there's fellowship. The first part is a sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you communicate on that level with one another. In verse 19, and it says, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. There's two participles there, and it means the worship, expressing the glory of Christ, expressing the glory of Christ. Verse 20 is pretty clear, always giving thanks uh, to, for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So there is an attitude of gratitude. There is thankfulness which mark your life. A spirit-filled believer is full of thanksgiving, not grumbling. That's something I always am brought back to in my own life is am I thankful or am I grumbling about something? And then finally, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ submission, the living out of the life of Christ. When you look at these four results of the Holy Spirit filling, fellowship, worship, gratitude, submission, what we see is we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are filled with the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is in our lives, it will bleed out of our lives in that way. F.B. Meyer wrote, when the heart is full, it brims over in some act of devotion. In other words, we will want to see our Savior glorified in that. Jesus is our example of a wise person, of course. If we go back to Proverbs, we would see it's the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood himself. He understood his time. He understood his Father's will. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, which resulted in Jesus Christ being able to fellowship with others and worshiping his Father, thankful of heart, submissive. Do you want to live wisely? The choice is yours. Do I want to live wisely? The choice is mine. Am I going to have the Holy Spirit fill my life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very familiar passage says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear, fear the Lord and shun evil. And This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. In other words, have a full, glorious life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your great...